Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 24. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit was trouble, is troubled to know the dream. And the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he may show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might. 
and now have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Ariok, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and thus said to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. The word of the Lord. Almighty Father, uh, we just heard uh, from the book of Daniel, Daniel praises you and he, he praises you because you're, you're wise and you're powerful. Uh, and, and then he praises you because you, you made him the same way. You, you made him wise and, and you gave some of your power to him. And Father, uh, we come before you with hearts that, that are slow to really believe either of those things can be true. Uh, maybe maybe we we're not sure that you're either wise or powerful, and maybe we're not sure that you're re ready to give of your wisdom and, and your power if you are those things. But Father, on the basis of um, on the basis of what Daniel said, we want to come and we want to boldly ask that you would impart a wisdom that we cannot generate ourselves, and that you would do that by a power which we cannot generate ourselves. And will you, in doing that, give us a transformation uh, that is beyond the beauty that we can generate ourselves? And so right now, Father, I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would captivate us with Jesus and that you would make us a people who can listen and who can hear what it is that he has to say. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <coughs> Uh, and uh, it's helpful if you turn back to uh, page 8 and 9 in your service sheets. That really long reading is from the book of Daniel. We're con continuing a series in the book of Daniel. If you were here with us last week, and I know a bunch of us weren't, but if you were here last week, um, we looked at that reading in its entirety, and we actually read uh, something uh, 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 a reading that comes after it as well. Um, today, we're just going to have a real narrow focus, and we're going to focus on that po poem that uh, Daniel prays, that prayer on page 9, verses 20 through 23. That's where we're going to focus. And, and here's one of the striking things about Daniel. Uh, this is one of the striking things about Daniel as an individual, as a character, as a person, and this is one of the striking themes in the book that bears his name, here's, here's the thing that stands out, one thing. Daniel is an ambassador of Israel's God right in the middle of the Babylonian court. Now, I don't know if you find that striking, but it seems to me that it should get our attention. Now, why do I say that? Well, Daniel... Uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll remember that Daniel is living in Babylon against his will. And Babylon, living in Babylon and serving in the Babylonian court, it, it, like it's not a cushy gig, right? Like for the rest of the Bible, even well after the empire of Babylon has fallen, the name Babylon becomes a euphemism for the bad guys. Oh no, I'm, I'm in Babylon. And there's a whole bunch of images. 
And so Daniel, when we're uh, looking at him in these stories, he's living under the thumb of his enemies. He's living under the thumb of, of, of just one of the worst situations that you can be in. And yet, despite that, despite arguably really bad circumstances, um, he lives as an ambassador of Israel's God, and it ends up that he's good at it. Like, he's really good at it. He's one of the few characters in the Bible. Sometimes people imagine that the Bible is full of role models, and that's mostly untrue. The Bible, most of the main characters in the Bible, if you go read it, um, it they're, they're ambiguous at best. But Daniel's one of the few, for the most part, positive role models that we have. He's good at being God's ambassador in the midst of a hostile, difficult, dangerous situation. And uh, I want to learn from Daniel, and I want us here at Emmanuel to learn from Daniel. I want to learn how can we be God's ambassadors in the midst of the world, even in the midst of difficult situations. Our, any, almost any of our difficulties doesn't come close to his, but how can we learn from him how to be faithful, effective ambassadors of God in the midst of the world? And to do that, to answer that question, I want to look at that uh, poem, that song, that prayer, in uh, the beginning of verse 20. <clears throat> And here's what I want to show you. If you want to live as God's ambassadors, uh, we need to receive and internalize God's wisdom and God's power. But there's a sting in the tail. And the sting in the tail is that the only way to really internalize God's wisdom and God's power is to internalize that from a vantage point of our weakness. What are you talking about? Well, great question. Let's get into it. T take a look at verse 20. Verse 20, Daniel sings, so he's, he's prayed, uh, God has spoken to him, uh, he's going to have this interpretation for the King Nebuchadnezzar, and he's rejoicing, and he, he sings in verse 20, and he says, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. Now, mark those two last words. Daniel praises God for his wisdom and his might, his wisdom and his power. Now, stop there for a second. Um, praising God for God's wisdom and God's power, um, it's the kind of thing you expect to hear in church, right? Uh, it's the kind of thing you expect to hear in the Bible. However, it is not the thing I expect to hear from someone who has walked the path that Daniel has walked. Why? Because remember that Daniel is living in the wreckage of his nation's collapse. You remember that? Uh, Daniel's an Israelite. And Israel had just been decimated uh, by the empire of Babylon. And that has been Daniel, like that happened in Daniel's lifetime. Now, why in the world should Daniel think that Israel's God is either wise or powerful? Like, just imagine for a second that you're Old Testament Israel before this happened. Imagine you're a little nation, not a lot of power, but you've got a remarkable God. And you know you've got a remarkable God because you've got a remarkable origin story. You're like, man, um, <clears throat> we remember that we were enslaved in Egypt, and God swooped in, and God introduced himself to us by swooping in, rescuing us from the greatest superpower of the day. That's a great origin story. And that's the great benefit that Israel brings. 
and everything's great. Just keep imagining that you're Old Testament Israel. Everything's great until it's not, until you start losing. And first, you lose the northern part of your nation to the Assyrians in 722 AD, or BC. And then a few hundred years later, uh, Babylon shows up, and Babylon just kicks you in the teeth again and again, and now your whole nation has collapsed. And the very best, the leaders of your nation have been shipped off to Babylon, and now they're serving the king of Babylon. They're serving the enemy. Now, if that's your story, and that's Daniel's story, then why in the world would you think that, that the God whom you have previously served is either wise or powerful? If he was wise, then he would have figured out a way to escape Babylon. If he was powerful, maybe he could have really uh, shown up and defeated Babylon. Why trust a God who doesn't help you win? And I think this is an important question for us. Um, it seems to me that many of us, tell, tell me if you think this is right. We tend, I'm talking about us today, we tend to associate wisdom with winning. Is that fair? Um, it seems to me that we seem to correlate wisdom with success so that wisdom is justified by results, by outcomes where you're winning, you're getting ahead. Think I'm wrong? Now, if that's your way of thinking, then what good is a God whose wisdom does not result in winning? Uh, what good is a God whose power does not result in success? Like, can you, can, can you see the question? Can you feel the problem? But now let me add another layer. Go back to Israel. Because even when Israel was doing well, like before they lost, even in that period where they're reasonably successful, they still didn't very often buy either God's wisdom or God's power. In fact, if you look at the long story of Israel, and if, if you're interested, go read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. This analyzes it a little bit. If you read the story of, of Israel's uh, history, there's a strange dynamic that very often there's an inverse relationship between Israel's success and their trust in God's wisdom and God's power. What, what does that mean? I mean this. Very often as Israel gets richer, as Israel wins in battle, as Israel gains power, their trust very often at the same moment, their trust that God is wise goes down. Their trust that God is powerful goes down. And the the more they think of themselves as brilliant and powerful and competent. Their trust in themselves goes up when they succeed, and their trust in God goes down when they succeed. That's not always the truth, but it's often the case. And again, think about us. Um, I want to succeed. Don't you want to succeed? I like winning. Um, and we all want to prosper, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the irony here, Emmanuel, the irony is that success is sometimes the most dangerous thing that can happen to our spiritual lives. Because success and prosperity and power can give us an illusion that I'm powerful, that I'm wise, that I'm competent, and that I can rely on me 
for what I really need in this world. And as our trust in self increases, our trust in God dies. And that's what happened in Israel. So, and it just led to moral disaster. So the kings of Israel increasingly become narcissistic and corrupt and oppressive. And it all got so bad that at some point the God of Israel simply could not maintain both his commitment to justice and allow Israel to continue on the route that they were running on. And therefore, we saw this a few weeks ago, God gave Israel to Babylon. Which is to say... Babylon's victory was not God's failure. It was God's justice. Now, go back to Daniel. Because part of the remarkable thing, maybe the miracle of this moment, is not just that he gets this remarkable insight into what's happening in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, but rather, Daniel, in this moment, is discovering that verse 20 is true. Look at it again. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. Now, I want to ask Daniel, Daniel, can you help me understand, um, where do you see God's wisdom and power? And I think he answers it in the next verse, verse 21. He sees God's wisdom and power because God changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. Now stop there. That's what God had just done to Israel in Daniel's lifetime. God changed the times and the seasons. God removed kings, the king of Israel, and he replaced him with the king of Babylon. But here's what's so important. Daniel sees the wisdom and the power of God from the vantage point of his weakness, from the vantage point of his exile. He's experienced the crumbling of his nation. He's experienced the crumbling of Israel's wisdom and Israel's self-reliant power. And in the wreckage of his nation, the spell's broken. In the wreckage of the nation, Daniel can see that Israel's self-reliant wisdom is actually folly. And Israel's self-reliant power is actually profoundly frail. And in that experience of weakness and failure, God's wisdom and God's uh, power breaks in on him like the breaking in of the sun after a long and dark night. Or let me say this differently. God in his wisdom and his power, unveils Israel's folly and weakness so that they can discover God again. They can meet him for real and deeper. And that's what Daniel discovered. It's a theme that runs right through the book. And that's what God regularly does. Uh, and that's what God must do in us if we are going to be ambassadors of his wisdom and his power in our world. You ever experienced uh, God unveiling your folly? <laughs> you ever experienced God unveiling uh, your, the weakness of your self-reliance? Remember that when that happens, it's not God's cruelty, it's his mercy, because he's unveiling our folly and our weakness so that we can meet him again for real and deeper. And one of my prayers for the church in this season of church history, can I be so bold, is that God will do this in his church today. And what do you say we're part of it? Let's be part of meeting God from the vantage point of our weakness. All right, but go back to verse 21. Because he, you may have noticed this. Um, 
when Daniel says that God in his wisdom removes kings and sets up new ones, he's actually not talking about Israel. That had just happened in Israel's story. But in this moment, Daniel's actually anticipating something that's going to happen in Babylon. Uh, Daniel could see, and if you read the next bit that we didn't read, you, this would become clear. Daniel can see that God's going to reveal the folly and the uh, weakness of Babylon, just like he had revealed the folly and the weakness of Israel. And God's purpose in doing so for Babylon is the same. He's going to unveil the folly and the weakness of Babylon so that God can reveal himself to Babylon. And you're going to see that in the unfolding of Nebuchadnezzar's story. But now, Emmanuel, Jesus wants us to be his ambassadors. It's what we're called to be. Ambassadors of his wisdom and his power in the midst of a world that's baffled uh, by both, actually. And the only way we're going to be able to be his ambassadors is if we can see the folly of our self-reliant wisdom and the, the weakness of our self-reliant power. And when we see the folly of self-reliance, that's when we're ready to see the beauty of God's wisdom and power. But now let's keep going. Uh, look back at the second half of verse 21. And I want you to notice that God, God's wisdom is a gift that he gives. Take a look at verse 21. It says this, God gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. Now stop and notice two things. Uh, first of all, notice that wisdom is a gift from God. It's very important. It, it's not that Daniel is super, super smart. He was. But it's not that his, his brilliance is not the thing that's breaking him through to wisdom. It's that God, in his generosity, shares his wisdom with his people. It's a gift. But then the second thing to notice is, who is it that receives this gift? Take a look at the verse again. Uh, to whom does God give wisdom? To whom does God give knowledge? Do you see that? He, he gives wisdom to the wise. He gives knowledge to the understanding. And that, does that seem odd to you? It seems, it's like, it seems really redundant to me. It's like, give wisdom to the wise. Well, they already have it. it give knowledge to the understanding. Well, share it around a little bit, you know? Um, what's going on? Well, it actually connects to what we've already been saying. All through the Bible, if you want to drill down on this, look at uh, Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 9. All through the Bible, wisdom begins with humble receptivity to God. Wisdom begins when we're standing before God saying, God, I can see that my self-reliant wisdom is folly, and I can feel that my self-reliant power is weakness, and I can see, God, that you are the epicenter of a wisdom and a power that I cannot reach out and grab, that I must receive, and I really need it, God. And there, in that posture of humble receptivity, that is the beginning of a wisdom that allows us to receive more wisdom from God. So when Daniel says that God gives wisdom to the wise, what he's saying is that God gives more wisdom to those who know that they need it and are ready to receive it. Now, can you see then, Emmanuel, can you see your need for wisdom? Or now let me turn the question around. Can you see the danger of pride? 
Because here's the problem with pride. It's deadly. It's deadly because it cuts us off from God's wisdom. It, uh, uh, pride, arrogance, hubris, what it does, um, uh, 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 an overconfidence in self, what it does is it blocks our ability to receive God's good gifts. It's like it clogs and pride leaves us all alone in the illusion of our self-reliant wisdom and the illusion of our self-reliant power. See, ambassador, or Daniel was this ambassador of God, and God wants to shape us to be ambassadors as well. And the reason Daniel was a good ambassador is because he could see God's wisdom, and he could see God's wisdom from the vantage point of his weakness and his exile. And he was humble enough to receive more of it because wisdom is a gift. And as I say that, I find myself wanting that gift. I want, Emmanuel, I want us to be a, a people who are wise with a wisdom that only comes from God. But if that desire must also be a desire for a kind of weakness. And that's the bit that gets me nervous. Because I hate it. However, we need to learn to love it. Because that weakness and that humility is what makes us able to receive the inestimable gift of God's wisdom and God's power. So how can we be a church like that? How can we be a church ready to receive the wisdom of God? And the answer to that question, it, it, that's going to drive us to Jesus Christ. We're going to have to consider Jesus. Think about this. Daniel, along with his nation, was humbled into weakness by their experience of exile. And the cross of Jesus Christ uh, gives us that same gift. What do I mean? Well, the gift of exile for Israel meant that Daniel and, ex and, and Israel could see where it is that their folly led in the end. And when you consider Jesus' death, uh, we get to see where our folly leads. Let me try to explain it this way. Think about the Roman Empire. The Romans, the Romans were remarkably wise, right? They, they were really smart, and they had lots of power. Um, and they almost always won. And in some ways, the Roman Empire, especially as de depicted in the Gospels, the Romans are what it looks like when human self-reliance just goes extreme. And all their self-reliant wisdom and their self-reliant power, where did it lead? It led to the justification of killing Jesus and any other, any number of other oppressions and tragedies and injustices all around it. Human self-reliance always leads to pride. Pride always leads us to sin. And sin is always whispering in our ears justifications for why, well, in this situation, it's just fine. And that's why when you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, you can be startled out of the illusion of those arguments of justification. You, you can be startled to see that human, self-reliant human wisdom is folly. You can be startled to see where it is that our sin will take us. But then keep looking at the cross because the cross has more gifts to give. And when you look at the cross, you also see the power of God. 
Remember Daniel in exile. Um, God brought Israel into a place of weakness so that they could meet God there. And when you look at Jesus on the cross, that is God himself in a remarkable way entering into weakness entering into extreme exile, entering into the tragedy of death, and in a remarkable and mysterious way that it takes the whole of the Christian tradition to explain, and yet nevertheless we still fall short in a remarkable way, the death of Jesus Christ opens the door. That exile of God opens the door for us to gain access to God himself, and thereby also his power. And so when you look at the cross, you see where our sin leads. And when you look at the cross, you see how God opens the door to give us the gifts of his power and his wisdom. But when you look at the cross, you also see God's own path to glory. God's path to glory isn't a short circuit to winning. God's path to glory runs through the weakness of the cross. And if that was God's path to glory for his son, Jesus Christ, it will be ours also. And there will, in the end, be no other way to true glory than through the cross. And that's the starting point for our wisdom, Emmanuel. Let me close with uh, just three practices to pursuing wisdom. Here they are. First of all, cultivate weakness. Do you notice uh, that uh, Daniel prays with his friends? Um, I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Prayer is what it looks like when we really believe that God is strong and God is good and that God gives us all the things that really matter most. It looks like prayer on the ground. And when you pray, you probably experience this, prayer is intrinsically weak. Doesn't, don't, don't you feel weak when you pray? Like nobody feels good at prayer. And if, if, if you ever meet somebody who's good at prayer, you know they're not. Um, <clears throat> prayer always feels weak, but prayer, that's part of the point. Prayer is a leveraging of our weakness so that we can be, be receptive to God's power. So that in a way, prayer begins in human weakness, but prayer ends in strength because that's where God meets us with his power. So cultivate weakness in yourself, especially through prayer. That's how we'll become strong in God and wise. It's the first thing, cultivate weakness. Second way, second thing is cultivate wonder. Uh, do you notice this whole poem is Daniel praising God? Uh, praise is what it looks like when we see God's wisdom and power and we enjoy it. Um, it's impossible to be wise with the wisdom of God without worship. Because uh, if we're going to share in the wisdom of God, and you notice in verse 23, in, in verse uh, uh, 20, uh, Daniel says, God, you are wise and powerful. In verse 23, he says, you've made me wise and powerful with the same wisdom and power. If we're going to share in God's wisdom and power, then we must be con uh, captivated by it in who God is. That's why here at Emmanuel we say we want to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. So cultivate weakness, cultivate wonder, and then finally cultivate relationship. One of the remarkable things about Daniel is his friends. Throughout the story, we're going to see that Daniel's close to people. He's close to his uh, three friends that he prays with, but he's also even close uh, to, to his enemies. He's close to the king. Uh, the king's not exactly his enemy all the time. Later on, he'll be close to a guy who uh, is his enemy. 
Um, he's close to people who do not know God, and he's close to people who do know God. He's close to both. And because he cultivates those relationships, Daniel's able to be a bridge between them. He's able to be a bridge between God and his, his wisdom and his power and the people around him who need to share something in it, and he becomes a blessing to them. And that's where the Lord wants to take us. So Emmanuel, let's be a people of wisdom and power, not our own, but God's. That path is going to lead us into weakness. Go there. With your eyes fixed on Jesus, Jesus hasn't asked us to do anything that he hasn't done first himself. It's his path to glory, and it's ours too. So go ahead and get weak. And then, in that place, receive a wisdom that you cannot generate. Receive a power that you cannot generate. And then be ready to share it with those around us. And we will be a blessing to the people in our communities. Amen? Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.